0: Would you turn in your Bibles to Acts 15? We're making our way through, aren't we? Chapter by chapter, we're just persevering, and we'll make it. It's supposed to snow next Thursday. Well, whenever we come back and meet together again, we will be on Acts 16. This morning we're at 15. You know, when you look at Acts chapter 15, as as I did, you see the heading, it says the council of Jerusalem, and then you turn over the page and you see the next heading, the council's letter to the Gentile believers, it's kind of boring, a council meeting, (laughs) A council letter, you know, boring. But as we read, we're going to find out that Acts chapter 15 really is one of the most important chapters in all of Acts. I think it's one of the most important chapters in all of Scripture. So we'll be reading that this morning. Verse 1. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about the question. Now I just want to um, bring out two things before we uh, go on. Do you notice in verse 1 it says they came down from Judea to Antioch? And usually when you, I mean when we say we go down, we think we're going down south. And really, they were going from Antioch to Judea, which is north. Uh, they were coming down from Judea to Antioch, which was a southern journey. And then it says in verse 2, they went up to Jerusalem, even though they were um, actually on a, going south. And the reason is because Jerusalem, when you mention that you're going to Jerusalem, no matter where you're from, you could be from the you know, south or north, um, but when you say that you're going to Jerusalem, you always say I'm going up to Jer- Jerusalem. Um, if you see Jerusalem, you'll see it's on a it's on a mountain. It's actually on Mount Moriah, where Abraham almost sacrificed his son Isaac. So it is kind of a mountain-looking uh, city, but it's also a very sacred spot. So when anybody mentions Jerusalem, I'm going up to Jerusalem. The church, verse three sent them on their way as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria. They told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, so these would be Jewish believers, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. So, actually, what is this dispute about? Why aren't they happy? This dispute is about the law. Now, even though circumcision was the point of contention, the real issue is Judaism. Circumcision indicated that you were a child of the covenant, that you were a Jew, And they were really suggesting that Gentiles had to convert to Judaism in order to be saved. They wanted Christianity to be a sect of Judaism. And I can just hear their, um, you know, how they were talking in verse 5. I'm sure it was something like, The Gentiles have to be circumcised, too, and the Gentiles have to obey the law of Moses, too. If we have to be circumcised and if we have to obey the law of Moses as Jews, then the Gentiles have to do that, too, to be saved. It's legalism. Legalism will always bring two things. Criticism and competitiveness. And, And it's starting right here. They're criticizing the Gentile believers because they don't keep to the law of Moses. They're complaining because they're not being circumcised, and it's a competitive thing. Like, well, if I have to do it this way, then they have to do it that way. Legalism will always bring competitiveness and criticism. Verse 6. The apostles and elders met together to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Remember, that was with Cornelius, the first Gentile convert, and I'm so thankful for him. Verse 8, God who knows the heart. Now, as I was reading this, I just felt like the Lord wanted me to park on this for a little bit because right in the middle of this um, council meeting, Peter is giving us just a, a, a little bit of truth. And God's Word always does this to us, no matter what you're reading. If you're just going through the Old and New Testament with your devotions, and you, maybe you're reading about the law, or some, you know, Deuteronomy, or um, some parts of the Bible are hard to get through, like Leviticus, there will always, there's always truth in it, no matter Where you read. And I love this little half a verse. God who knows the heart. Peter is really declaring the omniscience of God. That God knows our heart. So I want us to just quickly turn to Psalm 139. Because I really feel like there's somebody here this morning that you need to know that. That you need to know that God knows your heart. Psalm 139. Verse one, oh Lord, you have searched me. Isn't that a pretty daunting thing to know that the Lord searches our hearts and you know me? You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. And this afar doesn't mean God's way up here and we're way down here and so from a far away place he perceives our thoughts the Hebrew actually is uh, I wrote this down the Hebrew is that you know my thoughts in their origins which means you know my thoughts even before I think them that is how intimate our God is with us he knows our thoughts even before we think them You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in, behind, and before. I love this part of the verse. And actually, that's what hem means. Hem means that you are in the middle. God just isn't on one side of you. Here's you, and God is in front of you, and he is in back of you. So if you're like this, here's God and here's God. He's hemming you in. He will not let you go. That gives me such security to know that God hems me in. He is behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. No reason to worry or fear, is there? God knows us. He searches our hearts. God, who knows the heart, back to verse 8, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God? by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear. And that's what legalism does. No one can bear up under it. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. It's simple and to the point. I love Peter's answer. The whole assembly became silent As they listened to Barnabas and Paul, telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. And this this isn't the Apostle James, you know, James and John. Remember the Apostle James was killed with the sword in Acts chapter 12 by Herod? This is James, the half-brother of Jesus. And he's now become a leader and an elder in the early church. James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. Simon, which is Peter, has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written, and this is from the prophet Amos. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it, that the remnant of men, which is the Jews, may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things that have been known for ages. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from four things, food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals and from blood, and we'll notice that these four requirements: there is one rule of morality, three rules of sensitivity. The three let me let me uh, the three rules of sensitivity: food polluted by idols, meat of strangled animals, and from blood. And the reason um, they give these requirements of uh, being sensitive is it's basically they're saying. Um, the Jews would be offended if they, if they see you eating the meat of strangled animals, even though you're not bothered by that, and even though you're not offended by that. But to be sensitive to your Jewish brothers, and because we don't want our Jewish brothers to stumble, just give it up. Be sensitive to your Jewish brothers. And then the one rule of morality there is sexual immorality. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Then the apostles and elders, with the whole church, decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, two men who were leaders among the brothers. With them they sent the following letter, the apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. We have heard that some went out from among us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. And that would trouble your mind, wouldn't it? If someone came and said, uh, That's really not the way to be saved, you know, you got to do this, you got to do this and this and this to be saved, it disturbed them. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. Same requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. The men were sent off and went down to Antioch. There they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the brothers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. Verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. Commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches Oh, my, you know, it's like, oh, my word. There's a dispute between Paul and Barnabas. Can Christians have differences of opinion? Yes. Can Christians get into contentious arguments? They can, and they do. Yes. And here, this little portion, a disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, it's really not us to decide who's right and who's wrong. So many times in a disagreement, at least this is the way I am, I want to figure out who's right and who's wrong. So many times this has happened, you know, between Gary and I, we get into a little spout, and I just say, oh, Lord, I just wish you could come down right now and and tell me I'm right and tell him he's wrong. (laughs) But here, there isn't a right and a wrong. It's not about, really, it's not about these men at all. It's about what is God up to. And what God is really doing is taking two godly men and making two missionary teams Mark had not committed some unpardonable sin by deserting Paul and Barnabas. Obviously, God used him to write the second gospel, Mark. God can sometimes use our differences to accomplish his work. Disagreements do not always mean someone is right and someone is wrong. Disagreements can sometimes mean that God is up to something that we don't understand. So like I said in the beginning, when you take a a first look at the 15th chapter of Acts, and it's all about the council meeting and all about the letters, it can sound really boring. But then when we take a closer look at Acts 15, we see that it's very vital for the entire chapter of Acts because it deals with this issue. What does it take to be saved? And so if we don't know that in our Christian walk We're not going to bear any fruit in our own lives, or we're not going to be able to help anybody else if we don't know what it takes to be saved. Verse 1, let's go back. Here's the question. And let's start with a little quote in verse 1. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Basically, unless you do it my way, you cannot be saved. And you realize you can go from verse 1 right over to verse 11, because Peter gives the answer. So I'm going to just read the little quote again in verse 1. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Verse 11. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. It is a very simple answer, and it's to the point, but it's correct. We need nothing else to be saved. You don't need to go through Judaism to be saved. You don't have to go through works to be saved. You don't have to go through baptism to be saved. You don't have to speak in tongues to be saved. You don't have to do anything except exercise faith and respond to God's grace. The way to a righteous standing before God is never by works. If it were, we'd fail every time. We'd never be good enough. It's not about us. It's about the work that God has already done through Jesus. It's not about my effort or my doing. It is simply through what God has done for me through Jesus on the cross. And I found a quote um, in a book that Pastor Chuck wrote about Acts. And I just love this quote, so I want to read it to you. If my fellowship with God was based upon my works, my doing, then there would be days I would have fellowship with him, And many days that I would not. But because it is predicated upon Jesus' work on my behalf, God is faithful. God will not change. And thus I can have constant fellowship with God. I think so many times we make salvation hard. And especially when maybe friends or family come to us, you know, how do I be saved? And he's like, Oh no, oh dear. You know, it's a huge question. Um, that affects all of our lives, but the answer is simple. It's right here in verse 11. If you don't mind marking in your Bibles, or if you have a highlighter, please make sure that you mark verse 11, because here is the answer. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved. So this morning, I just came up with some slides, and in closing, I want to go over these with you about salvation. And I have three things about salvation. The first one is salvation is not difficult. Thank goodness it's not. Because if it were, I'm not a persevering person. I, I would never, maybe I would get to step one and step two. I'd never make it to step four. If there was anything that I had to do. Let's read Acts 16, 31 together. Will you read with me? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You And your household. Salvation is not difficult. If you just want to write Acts 13, 31, instead of writing the whole verse. And this is still under salvation is not difficult. Ephesians 2, 4 through 9. Let's read that together. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. I think that's even And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. Salvation is not difficult. Salvation is not distant. Let's read Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 12. Now what I am commanding you today, you read with me, is not too difficult for you. Or beyond your reach, it is not up in heaven, so that you have to ask, "Who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us, so we may obey it?" And uh, you know what? I think I want, I think I wanted more. Uh, is that eleven and twelve? I just want to check really quickly in Deuteronomy and make sure that verse 12 is there because I love those verses. Yeah, it is. But let's just go a little bit further. Turn to Deuteronomy. And you see, even in the middle of Deuteronomy, you can read beautiful truths of God. Let's go to Deuteronomy 30. And I want to start with verse 11. And I'll just read um, through 15. I think I need stronger glasses. Now, what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we can obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. The word of God is always very near us. Salvation really is only a prayer away. Here's the prayer. I love this because we'll never be perfect. So I go back to this verse in my life again and again. Let's read it together. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So salvation is not too difficult. It's not distant. And it's not discriminating. That's my favorite. Because if it were... I probably wouldn't make it in. I wouldn't fit in. John one Let's read that together. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And just remember that all. Yet to all who received him. It made me think again of little Italia, little girl in Turkey, um, who when the pastor's wife came in and gave the the book of salvation, she read it, and she said, you know what, I, I do get it. Jesus is the Savior of the world. But would he be my Savior because I'm Muslim? And the answer is yes. He is a Savior to all, yet to all who received him. So salvation is not discriminating. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world with me that he gave his one and only Son, That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And there's that word, whoever. Whoever. Salvation is not discriminating. It's for all. And Romans 10, 4. Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. And there's that word, everyone. Salvation is for all. It is not discriminating. It's an easy thing. It wasn't easy for God. Because he had to give up his only son and watch him die on a cross. And I don't think that's anything that any of us here in this room could have ever done. So it wasn't an easy task for God, but he made it easy for us. All we have to do is say, yes, Lord, I'm yours. And that's it. Nothing else added on to our salvation. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much that we don't have to obey all the laws of Moses or we don't have to do anything physical to our bodies to be saved, but that you made it so simple for us that we are saved by faith and because of your grace, just by believing in your name, just by believing in what you did for us on the cross. And we do believe, Lord. We believe that you died for our sins and that you rose again and that you are coming back to receive us unto yourself. I pray that you'd help us not to make salvation sound too difficult for anyone else. Help us to never make salvation sound too distant so that others would think it's too hard to be saved because even your word tells us that it's not. And thank you that salvation is not discriminating. Thank you, God, that you included me that you included every single one of us, that whosoever would believe in you would be saved. We thank you, Jesus, for your work of salvation. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you for paying the penalty and bearing all of my sin upon you. We thank you, Lord, that even before we knew you, even when we were dead in our sins, you died for us. Thank you that you know us. You know our hearts. You know when we sit and when we rise, you hem us in behind and before. You will never let us go. We thank you, God, that you are our loving Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen.